0: Daily with Jason Mertidis. And welcome to a Monday, February 15th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. One in, one out. One name's been added, one's been taken away. Travis Konechny added to the COVID protocol list, and Travis Sandheim off the COVID protocol list. Flyers will practice today at 1130, So that's good news and hopefully an indication that they will be back on the ice come Thursday against the New York Rangers. And a week from yesterday in Tahoe against the Boston Bruins. But our guest on this episode is Flyers radio play-by-play announcer Tim Saunders. He joins us now on Flyers Daily. What does um, a hockey play-by-play
1: announcer do? With another pause, <laughs> a lot of nothing. <laughs> you talk about feeling out of uh, contact with everything. Um, it's 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 weird. Um, that's been the whole challenge with the whole protocol. To begin with was even when they were playing we've lost contact with players you know we're not Mm. in that bubble because they don't want people uh mixing from in the bubble to out of the bubble so we don't have we lose that contact with players and and we get a lot of material that way so that's been a bit of a challenge but you do kind of feel out of touch
0: yeah i mean the coaching staff's another part of that just to kind of peel the curtain back you know, before every game, the, the announcers meet with a member of the coaching staff, and we get things and information that is both for air and for context, which is right. not really for air per se. And we lose a lot of that element as well, although we have ways of communicating with the staff otherwise. Yeah,
1: and to a degree, they continue to do with that with us just before game time, but, um, you know, it's it's clearly not the same. But you make the best of it. Nobody's complaining. You make the yep. best of this weird um, set of circumstances, and I I think we're all fortunate, we feel fortunate, that we're working and and, and drawing a paycheck and and getting to call games at all. You know, none of this was unplanned. By that, I mean, when they laid out these protocols, they knew full well that being outside of an Edmonton-Toronto bubble, that these were, if not likely, very possible, and they had to lay out plans. Here's how we're going to address it. And it, does it suck that they're calling games off and postponing games? Of course it does. But they're doing so in order to save the rest of the season. So um, I have complete trust and faith in what the NHL is doing here because uh they've done everything right so far.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's I'm glad you said that because it's something that I've attacked on the on the podcast. People are saying, you know, when I do Twitter questions, the league's flying by the seat of their pants. They are not. They knew that when teams were going to play in home arenas and you were not going to play in a controlled environment like the bubbles that you just mentioned in Toronto and Edmonton, there would be positive cases. And and look, I think the league is learning as they go here as well, which is why they removed the glass behind the benches in the penalty box. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're they're learning on the fly because this sport, and you can draw s- some things from the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, but you can't draw everything. Those, those sports, the NBA's played in an arena, yes, but not in an encapsulated area with dry ice and low humidity. And these things are all part of the equation. I think the league was prepared for all these things. And they got contingencies. We might be on contingency C or D. But they go down to double Z <laughs> with the league, And, and you think and of what, it all.
1: What else can you do? You, yeah. you deal with what's in front of you. And yeah. as circumstances change, you change how you're going to address it and deal with it. Um, yeah. Some of this they could plan, um, meaning they paid attention and talked to baseball and the NFL to find out you know, what were their challenges, what did they find, work, so on and so forth. And you, you incorporate that into the grand scheme of things. But it's unfortunate. That they're sitting, not being able to play, and of course we got that big game in Tahoe, and none of us really know if that's gonna still be possible. Fingers yeah. crossed that it is.
0: Yeah, and as of when we're taping this, we don't know exactly about practice on Monday. That was the plan to get the team back on the ice uh, more than a calendar week since they last were on the ice, and uh, from game to game it'll be 12 days if, in fact, the team does play on Thursday against the Rangers. Um, Tim, one of the things w- with you know this the, the situation and you know, bringing people to games and and the entertainment. But what's it been like for you? Um, You call games in the bubble from Wells Fargo, but the game wasn't in front of you. But now you and I and Coatsy are in Wells Fargo. What's been your perception of of their calling a game in the building, but no fans in the building?
1: To be honest with you, um, of course you lose some energy that's present when there are fans in the building, but you get so caught up in – in calling the game and trying to pay attention and notice the things that you're supposed to be making note of, that you kind of, the the absence of the fans kind of escapes you. you. You're not really focused on that. It is an entirely different set of challenges doing a game sitting in front of monitors and trying to call road games when you're not physically seeing it. So it, the job changes, I've called that challenge like, calling a game with one eye eye tied behind your back because when you're watching it live in front of you, you can't believe the number of things that you're looking to uh, as you're calling a game, shot clocks, um, benches, just all kinds of different things that you're not really even aware of. And then when that's taken away from you and you're a slave to what they're showing you on one or two monitors... Uh, that becomes a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it becomes a fixed head position that you can't control, right. <laughs> and, exactly. And you're and
0: just looking up the ice, you know, on on a d-zone exit, and you see a guy that's way up the ice on the monitor. You may not see that.
1: Well, it may not be shown. You're you're as in tune to what I'm about to say as as anybody, but if you listen and you hear goal calls that are wrong, <laughs> mm-hmm. if there's a tip in front of the net, there's no way for us really. Depending on the angle, uh, unless you're, you you happen to get an angle where you could see it, if it's deflected in front of the net, you're really guessing.
0: I, I have a really good theory and a way to fix that. If James Van Riemsdyk is net front, it was deflected in, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a pretty good rule. <laughs> I mean that that's a rule that going into the season we didn't know that would be a rule, yeah. but boy, now that we are just 13 games in, uh, let's talk about JVR. Because to me, Tim, he's been the MVP of the first quarter of the season. He, looks, he used the word in an NHL Network radio interview that he, in his preparation for this year, he wanted to be more elastic. I thought that was a really interesting word. And you know that James is a guy that's very open-minded in his preparation. He'll try different things. He believes in sports science and different approaches and not only, you know, ways to feed his body during a season food-wise and sleep-wise and all those things but he's a guy that's very open-minded and he came in with a a different approach this year and boy the dividend has been very pronounced in a
1: positive way i couldn't agree more and and the one word that i think comes to mind first with jvr is just maturity Mm -hmm. not that he was ever an immature kid because he wasn't even as a, 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 a in his first couple of years in the league but i think as he's now been in the league for an extended period of time He's figuring out the small things that he's got to do uh, to be prepared night in and night out and, have a, more importantly, have an impact night in and night out. Yeah, his
0: ability – there's only one other guy in the league right now that I look at and go, okay, the way he can deflect pucks, whether they're on the ice, redirects, or in the air, deflecting them down or up or wherever they need to go, is Joe Pavelski, another great American player who sits at the end of practice and works on that for a, a, every practice he does it, apparently.
1: I'd put one other guy in the conversation, and that's Andrews Lee. You're very that. good, yeah. He's as good as JVR is at that, and that's uh, an unbelievable skill, how they can—the eye-hand coordination is just incredible. Well,
0: it's not even just getting a stick on the puck. It's directing the puck into the part of the net where it needs to go. That's sure. the precision of it, Right. It is amazing. He's been so good for the Flyers this year in all zones, as a matter of fact. Uh, let's talk about a couple other guys in particular I want to get your thoughts on. You know, Nolan Patrick comes back this year, and he didn't play hockey for 20 months, NHL hockey at least. And he comes in, and I thought he really fed on adrenaline in the beginning of the season. Maybe he's hit a bit of a wall, but this pause at this point at the quarter pole, you believe that could be something that helps him? Um, Catch his yeah, breath a think- little
1: bit? I think there, you could probably make that case. Um, and, and you're right, that maybe it was inevitable, right, that you, you you start on adrenaline and maybe take a half a step back, and I think it is still a work in progress. So I think to a degree he's still a little bit of a question mark, but the fact of the matter is that he has played every game, he has bounced back after getting hit, and there are a few times I said hmm. one, one broadcast a couple of uh, games ago, that there will become a time when he takes a hit and you don't instantly hold your breath and think the worst. And that time's not yet here for me because every time he is hit, uh, that's what I'm concerned about. But he's, he's passed all that with flying colors. So good on him. Um, I think he's still getting into form to where, again, we'll go back to the term impacting the game in the right way. Um, I think the skill is just undeniable. And and you almost forgot that until you saw him in training camp. Mm-hmm. And just little things he does, He, there was a reason he was the second overall pick in the NHL draft the year he was taken. Yeah,
0: I, I've said this on the podcast before that he may be the most skilled player on the team. You know, just high-end skill, pedigree, right? You, you, I mean, he's the highest draft pick on the team, but he has all that. He just needs to to realize that skill at the NHL, and that's going to take uh, not only getting into a groove but being available and, and staying in that groove for a period of time to realize all the skill that he has and, and make it culminate on the
1: ice. So far we've talked about two guys, and they're both second overall picks in their drafts, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah JVR. At, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that, that was the
0: only other guy. And, uh, of course, that was the coin flip back in – um, I want to say 07, 08? The
1: Known oh, as the nine. Patrick Kane year. <laughs> yeah, the, also known as, yes,
0: good point. Uh, another couple other guys, uh, Tim, that I want to hit you on. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Phil Myers, and the question is, is can he jump up on that top pair and be that right side, uh, right shot on the top pairing with Ivan Provorov? You, you'd prefer a veteran in that role like you had with Matt Niskanen. Um, but when he moves up, to that position. It also does weaken your second pair because he's got great chemistry with Travis Sandheim.
1: Yeah, I'm not convinced it's necessary for him to jump up into that role at this point. I mm-hmm. think I'd rather have 6 and 5 together as a strong yeah. emerging second D pair because the days of being able to just continuously match up your top D pair against one line, that's a that's really hard to do, uh, yeah. especially on the road, of course. So, if if can can find his footing and I think he's been pretty good. He's finally healthy and as good he's played as well uh as he has in the last couple of years. That could really be the answer to their to their hopes. Um you know, do is it possible they go out and look for an outside answer to that? Yeah, it's possible, but I'm not surprised that Chuck hasn't done that because at least not yet. Space, Doesn't make sense yet. Yeah. And cap space is is so hard to come by, and uh, with what's coming down the pike in this league with a flat cap for years to come, um, I think you're better off looking for answers from within, and Ghost would be the most convenient answer to that question. Yeah, and he's played
0: the role before. The the other part of that equation, too, is you know if you're gonna give up something to get a top-pairing defenseman, it's gonna uh, not allow you to protect another player or even that player, and if you give up something substantial, you're also heading into an expansion draft. You right. don't want to give away a bunch of things to get a guy and lose another guy and just create another hole, and you lost the prospects, picks, or whatever you gave up for him to
1: begin with. You know, it goes back to the whole thing of, uh, of they've done such a great job of building this prospect uh, core, right? Um, and so many young kids in the organization that we think are going to be NHL players. What sense does it make to go out and get veterans that are going to block their path?
0: Yeah. Elliot Friedman put it really well in the offseason around free agency and when trades were happening. Albeit not a lot, but he said, you know, the Flyers have a lot of pieces people want. Then why trade them? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Right. I thought it was a really. I, I thought about that. I said, you know, that's a really good point. And, you know, you have players that are younger that are a little more cost effective in a flat cap world. That's a huge element of it as well. Um, let, let's talk about Sean Katurier because I think one of the most amazing things about the eight three and two start a really good start from a standings perspective in a shortened season, which means even more, is that he's only played two of the games and two shifts of another. The fact that they are 8-3-2 and two, and Couturier's played such a limited amount I think is is even more pronounced because of that.
1: Yeah, and let's look at this season so far. Uh, what are they, 8-3-2? and two. Yeah. Um, the truth of the matter is, is encouraging as it is that they've won eight of those games— They've probably played better in some losses than they have in some of their wins. And they're still trying to get on the same page and find that structure in their game that they had before the pause last season. They were the hottest team in the league before uh, COVID stopped at all uh, in in March last year. Uh, They had that nine-game winning streak, snapped by Boston, but played great in that game against Boston before the pause. So they're, they're a long way from getting back to that team. Um, can they get there? I think they can because I think ultimately they're more skilled and they're deeper now. Uh, but it's going to be a process, and it has been a process. I think they started to take steps in that right direction, five-on-five five defensively. Um you know, you don't, this is not a team that wants to get into trading scoring chances and going up and down with Boston and Pittsburgh and some of the other no. teams in the lake. That's not how Elaine Vino's teams are going to succeed. So, this pause, in, in some ways, uh, it, if they were on the pro- ice practicing this whole time, that could have been beneficial, but that hasn't been the case. So, it's going to be interesting to see if they can pick up where they left off and continue to progress toward where AV is trying to get them.
0: Yeah, build on, build on the little bit of progress that they did make, in particular in the last couple of the 2-1 loss against Boston and then the 7-4 win over the Caps. I mean, you, you go to a Caps game, the last game they played, and Ovechkin's got the puck on a string that night. It's following him around. He's got a four-point night, two goals and two helpers, beautiful ones on all of them, by the way. And you still come out with a 7-4 win. That's a big thing. And you look at the third period of that game when they move Couturier back to the top line. First of all, he had a game-winning goal. He has two goals and an assist in the game. And they really limited the Caps' chances in that third period as well for any kind of comeback.
1: Right. And, and, and Coots started that game on a fourth line, and by the time they got to the third period, he wasn't on the fourth line anymore, and they they basically shut the door on the, on the Caps when they had to. But yeah. you, we talk about the depth of this team. At this point of the season, at least this was true when, when games started to be canceled, uh, I think there were 11 hat-tricks in the NHL, and no team had more than one, and the Flyers have three. Yeah. Um, there's some young depth here that um, is, providing everybody can stay healthy, I think there's reason to be really excited about this game. Yeah, and
0: you look at the play of a guy like Joel Farabee. Um, 12 points already, six goals, six assists. He's got one of those hat-tricks of the three. Travis Konechny has the other, and uh, Scott Lawton. Um, Farabee Tim, last year he had so many great scoring chances because he has an offensive knack of where to be and, and how to develop those chances. This year, though, he's learned how to finish those chances.
1: Yeah, and his hockey sense is off the charts, I think. Mm. Uh, I think that's what separates uh, uh, Joel. You know, all of this is to say that this has not been, I mean, we, we've talked about some of the really good performances and the encouraging performances, but there have been some guys who have been confounding at this point. Uh, yeah. Travis Konegny, he's one of the guys that has a hat trick, but uh, boy, the last few weeks, um, he hasn't been the kind of player that he needs to be to be successful. Now, I say that in one breath, but I- I've been really paying attention to how he's dealt with this and especially how he's communicated in the media, when, uh, how, he, how he reacts to those questions, and the maturity level of mm. him, I think, is noticeable, noticeably different because he's not being—he's not defensive, he's not snarky and sarcastic. Um, I think he gets what I've got to do to be the kind of player I need to be, and again, it's a work in progress like a lot of things are in this team. Yeah, it's
0: a coaching staff that's very communicative and um, consistent with their message, and there's a self-awareness on Travis's part, frankly to know that these are the things I need to do to be the player that they need me to be, and, and he needs to be that. And maybe the pause does help him in, in some ways uh, to, to kind of reset his season because he got off to such a flying start and then obviously hit some some tough times there and, and wasn't doing the right things. Um, Tim, let's talk about the goaltending because Brian Elliott's been sensational. Yep. He really has. Um, and Carter Hart has made really big saves, and his numbers are a little crooked still from a couple of games in particular. The, the loss against uh, the Buffalo Sabres where he ended up getting pulled and then the, obviously the 6-1 loss against the Boston Bruins. But, uh, you know, some people have asked when we do Twitter questions, you know, why is Hart off, not off to a great start? And I don't really look at it as if he's off to a struggling start. I, I think a lot of that was a product of his environment. And to me, he, you know, he's made big saves and carried the teams in many of the games so far that he's gotten into here early on.
1: Yeah, I think that's that, that's true. There have been times where, you know, he's, he's uh, given up goals that you would expect him to make saves on, but the, the, the one stat that comes to mind early in the season, I think he's given up or he's, he's been in games where he's faced 30 shots or more six times already, and I think nine starts so far. In 40 starts last year, that only happened seven times. Yeah. So he's seen a lot of shots, and I think it's more a product of how is the team playing in front of him. Um, if the structure's not good and you're giving up odd man breaks, the goaltending's not going to look great. And yeah. so I think it's one leads to the other a little bit.
0: I totally agree. And Like the Marsh angle, which is the one I think he really didn't like in the Boston game, the 6-1 loss, where he got him short side. I think that was a product of three goals scored on the back door earlier in that game. You got caught leaning a little bit, and you hate to give up that short side goal when a guy like Marshan is delivering that shot. And he can deliver it. <laughs> he's, a, he's an
1: elite player. I think uh, it's kind of nice to be in a position to say, I think goaltending is the last thing this team has to worry about. I totally agree. That,
0: that, the goaltending is the last thing, and, and depth up the middle
1: is another one of those
0: areas I don't think you have to worry about because I think they have a lot of really good depth up the middle. Um, Tim, looking at the division, we've seen just about every team, I think, in the division at this point. Um, When you look at uh, this division, it looks like there's three teams at the top. The Flyers are one of them record-wise, along with Boston and along with uh, the Washington Capitals. And maybe that this is maybe too early to to even have this conversation, but somebody asked it on Twitter questions uh, yesterday. Um, When you look at it, who's the team you think that's poised for that fourth spot? Is it a team in the New York Islanders? Is it a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins who just obviously hired Ron Hextall as their new GM and and Brian Burke as their president of hockey operations? And in listening to their media availability when they were introduced, it sounded like they're going to push this year to kind of see what they can do and then reset after the season based on what they are able to accomplish this year. So. When you look at that other spot, who do you, who do you think's ticketed for it? Yeah, point?
1: I don't think New, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins are going away, and I think it, they're two great hires there yeah. that are going to help their franchise. And and do they have a uh, some tough decisions uh, moving forward? Meaning at the end of this year and the following year, they absolutely do. Um, but I think they've got guys in place that are equipped to take them through those challenges. So I don't think Pittsburgh's going anywhere. Um, we haven't seen the Rangers yet, uh, yeah. would have actually this uh, Sunday, today, as we're recording this, uh, so hard to uh, really tell where they fit in all of this, but um, Boston's been a big surprise to me, so I think it's Boston, Washington, I think the Flyers are right there, uh, notwithstanding their record against the Bruins so far, and, and you're right, I think the Islanders, to me, are probably the next best team. Yeah,
0: I would agree. They've been a little bit confounding last season, great at points, not really good at other points, and then they come out in the playoffs in the bubble, and they, they make it to the Final Four in a conference final, and then this year they've been a bit of a head-scratcher at times as well. Will the Real Islanders please stand up? I'm not sure, but um, it, it the point's well taken, and when you got that team with the Penguins with guys like Crosby, there's a lot of pride, Malkin and Latang, and it may be the last run for that group. Um, you don't know what's possible, but they haven't won a playoff series in a long time since they beat the Flyers back in 2018, if you can believe it. I, mean, yeah, that's pretty and I, crazy.
1: Think, I think those players recognize that there is change on the horizon and their window is quickly closing. If they want to do something, they better do it now.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, last thing for you, uh, when you look at the play around the league, you're a guy that consumes the, the game. Um, Like I do. Uh, If there's a hockey game on and the Flyers aren't playing, we're probably watching it. (laughs) It's a a good, safe bet. And uh, when you look at what you've seen you know, in the North Division or in the West, in these other divisions, uh, what are you seeing around the league? Anything uh, popping out to you positively with uh, some of these teams or negatively?
1: Well, one, on the surface, it's just great to have hockey, right? Yeah. Uh I think we all appreciate that. I I think it's really interesting to see how teams – react and deal with the lack of energy that they normally would get in a full building. And yeah. that that is for the players. We talked about it as broadcasters that you get into a zone and you're not really worried about that cuz it doesn't really affect how you call the game. Yeah, they're piping some crowd into our headsets that does have an effect on your energy level, but I think for the players it's different. I think playing in front of your home crowd, I think you draw energy from the building more so than we broadcasters would. And I think it's that's, that's got to be a real challenge to to deal with the absence of that and to have to manufacture sometimes the emotion that might come from those sources. So, um, I, I've paid particular attention to that and who's done it best and who, uh, has struggled with that. And, uh, and I think it's been pretty interesting.
0: And there's been some teams that you know you felt good coming into the season, and, and they're kind of upside down already. A team like Vancouver is one that I thought was poised to take a next step. They lose their goalie at Markstrom, and boy, they've whew, what a gong show it's been out there. But yeah. and then there's some other teams too that. But then then you see on the other side of the ledger, I see like a team like Tampa. I see a team like Boston, who is, you know, after a, a rough first three games, is steaming, and then you see. You know, teams in other divisions like Colorado, they're for real, and some of the teams you knew would be for real are. But uh, it'll be interesting with teams battling in their own division for the same four spots of real estate for the entire season, how this plays out. It's going to be fascinating.
1: I I, I think it's lost a little bit down here, but if you pay attention to that North division and that all-Canadian (laughs) – those matchups, I mean, that's that's outstanding. That's a, in a different gear than the rest of the states are. Uh, the competition, the 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 ill will uh, between some of those teams, and I don't Toronto know, Maple Toronto Maple Leafs, I think, are the most interesting team to me right mm-hmm. now, just in what they're doing. And Austin Matthews is uh, already a way better player than I thought he was. Yeah,
0: and you look at that division; it's like watching nineteen eighty six hockey there's not a lot of defense being played up there that's for sure <laughs> Watching yeah. games that are eight to five and six point games out of dry cycle I'm going what is going on here but, It has
1: been kind of fun to watch.
0: Yeah and well I, I really enjoyed the uh, the Boston Bruins New York Ranger game too where Brad Marchand and, and uh, Mika Zibanejad <laughs> were doing rock paper scissors to get off the ice a little Rochambeau uh, and then they went out and there was a bunch of scraps in the game I'm going wow the, the time machine is working here.
1: Well, so and that's the one good thing about the way they had to do the schedule in COVID. You know, these back-to-back mini series, mm-hmm. uh, that's added that's added some of that emotion uh, that has been lost without having fans in the building. So a little give and take there.
0: Yeah, a little ill will. I was entertained by that, and for that we appreciate the game being back. Tim, thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll talk soon, and. Uh... Uh, get to hopefully back uh, calling a game on Thursday night against the New York Rangers. And then you'll be in Tahoe with uh, a scenery that you
1: probably never expected you'd call a game from. It should be fascinating to watch. I understand that we're going to be, the rank is right on the 18th fairway and it, yeah. on that course. That's the only time I'd be in that fairway. I I was going to say, are are they going to put you in the rough? (laughs) Is there a sand trap nearby? I'm I'm hoping that that comes off as planned because it'll be phenomenal.
0: Yeah, very cool. One of the things that you can do in a season without fans. Tim, thanks for doing this. We'll talk soon. Okay, Jason. Thanks to Tim Saunders for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back tomorrow with another brand new episode. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily.